Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, we are continuing our contributor series where I introduce you to the people who are going to be writing for the Firetime Magazine. And I've been so excited for today's conversation. This is with Jenna Golden. Now, Jenna is someone who works out in Pennsylvania, and I connected with her probably a year, year and a half ago, I think. We've actually never met in person, but we have had many a Zoom call. And what I think is so cool about her story is that she started very young in the industry. She was like 16. And she talks in the interview about how she was trying to save up to buy a car. And I think for me, like, she's way more responsible. When I was, you know, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, I wanted to buy a guitar and it was only like 250 bucks and I didn't have that much money. So I got a job helping a friend paint houses under the table and I was terrible at it. And as soon as I got enough money for the guitar, I quit. And, uh, you know, thankfully she's more responsible than me and she's risen through the ranks to become a VP of sales and marketing for a great retailer out on the East Coast. So... What I've appreciated about about getting to know her is that she is really thinking about things differently. She's got a lot of passion and a lot of fire, and and you're going to be able to tell that as soon as she starts to talk, but listen to what she says, because she is someone who is operating it and thinking very holistically. We get into talking about investing in your team members, and you're going to hear stories about what she's done to move people around to make sure that that she has the right people in the right seats on the bus for her business. And and it's really important. We, we In this conversation, we talk about how important flexibility is for team members. We talk about you know, why is it that, that simplicity in a sales process is so important? You're going to hear about training and onboarding and, 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 you know, how in a very short amount of time you can set people up for monster success in, you know, the sales end of your business. So there's going to be a lot that we cover and I'm super excited for you to hear about it. And as always, we'll circle back at the end to discuss this, but I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Jenna Golden. Joining me from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Salter's Fireplace and Outdoor Living. I'm joined today by Jenna Golden. Jenna, how you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. You know, I've been I've been really stoked to get to kind of highlight all the different contributors that we're, we're, we have writing for us in the Firetime Magazine. And I know that you bring a ton to the table, but, you know, today I'm excited just to have a conversation in general about the industry and where we're at. So I feel like the first thing that we need to talk about is you and me are both of the infamous generation millennials. You know, and I'd love to hear a little bit of a backstory as to how you got to this point in the industry because you're really young and you're you're a VP of this company managing multiple stores. And I think a a lot of what you've brought to the table has to do with the fact that you think differently and that that comes from you being a millennial. But to back up, can you kind of give us a little bit of context to your story? Yeah, of course. So I started in the industry when I was 16 uh, years old, and this year I will be 29 years old. So I've been in the hearth industry quite a while. And I started so young because I actually needed a job to save up for a car. So very interesting story. (laughs) Um, And I started for a company that was kind of what I learned was going downhill because they need to retire and they had no one to hand the business over to. 
So I started working there and working my way up and getting factory trained. I went out to Travis Industries was my first company and uh, just started selling. And the thrill that I got from helping people yeah. finding the right appliance was just like, you know, it did it for me. And I loved it. And I felt like I had a servant's heart from that moment forward. And I just stuck with it. Um, I enjoyed it. I went to after school, I would walk there every single day and literally just continued that path. And I got to a point where I had another employee say, you should move on to another company. And I was like, what? And she's like, you're too good for this. You need to go bigger and better. So she told me about Salter's. And I put my resume in with Jay Stong and Jay accepted me. And I started at Salter's um, in 2012. And I've been there ever since. And I decided I had an open and honest conversation with Jay when I graduated with an associate's degree in business. And I said, Jay, I need to know, is this the career path for me? Like, you know, this sales role is I want it to be a glass escalator, not a glass ceiling. And so I had that conversation with him and I told him I want to stick with this, but I need to know that I have somewhere else to go. There's growth in this company. Yeah. And he ensured me that I had growth. And at that point, I was just a salesperson, you know, working on the floor, trying to figure things out, sell. And my second year there, I was closing $800,000 a year in sales. Wow. So I... <laughs> You know, I could see the growth potential, so I kept with it, and then I became the sales manager, and then here I am today. <laughs> Years later, I'm now running three retail stores for him. That's amazing, and there's, I mean, before we even get to the conversation, there's a couple of things I want to highlight. I mean, I, I love the fact that that you came to him and said, hey, are you the right horse for me to hitch my wagon to? Because <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to drive this thing, and I think that like, what like what a blessing and also a little bit of a curse for a business owner. I, I've I've had I've had, you know, people say similar things about, about me in the past of like it's amazing to have a driven employee, but you gotta be super careful that they're not more driven than you because we, <laughs> like you can either motivate somebody to continue to stay with your company or if, if they're more mo- motivated than you as a business owner, like you will lose them. And I think it's incredible that that Jay said I'm up for the challenge like we're going to we're going to ride this thing together and as you keep exceeding your you know your your ceilings that you're that you're crashing through I'm going to keep laying more things in front of you to go out and attack I think that's really cool Yeah exactly and I'm appreciative to even work for somebody that's like that who wants to grow and be successful and not just be the same old stagnant like I hear yeah. your podcast doing the same old every day yeah well let's 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 shift the conversation here I think that that's that's an amazing context so you know you and me are both millennials and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and and I'm gonna say like millennials have plenty of baggage there's no question about that and like for all the stereotypes about millennials like there's some truth to some of it. There's no question, but there's something incredible that I think millennials bring to the table. And and I want to just hear about kind of like, why do you think having, having your mentality has, has helped get you here? And, and what is it specifically about a millennial mentality that you think is, is so useful? Sure. Um, I mean, I know some in the industry think it's a curse word, but <laughs> um, to say the least, but I think finding we were just saying this about what Jim Collins says is finding the right people on the bus and, yeah, you know, steering the bus in the right direction. And my goal is to find the millennials that 
you know, are willing to be success driven and they are hard to come by. It's not, Mm -hmm. they're flowing to our door and I'm like, Ooh, who do I want to pick? You know, um, most people don't even know about our industry. And I think that's another issue in itself. I try to put on my personal social media about my work and what I do and that there's huge opportunities out there to grow in our industry. But I think we're just stuck in that rut, you know, of doing the same old every day. And, you know, we have employees that have been with us 20 years, but we do the same thing. We need to have change. We need to have fresh eyes. We have students who are graduating um, with degrees and we have students who are in the trade schools who walk out and they're 18 years old and they're looking for something in the trades. Like we need to capture that. We need to let them know what we have to offer. And there's a lot to offer. Yeah. We just need to get it out there. Yeah, there is. You know, one thing that I think about a lot when it comes to millennials is I think that like for all the stereotypes of millennials that uh, are terrified to make decisions and live in their parents' basements and whatever, I, th- yeah, there's some truth to that. Like I know, I know plenty of them, but I think that in general, if you can find a millennial that's that's not you know that that person, I think that that millennials have seen the failure of a lot of systems in their lives. So like you know, if you think about millennials growing up in like the late '80s and, and '90s. Um, and I guess this might apply to some, some older Gen Xers as well. You know, there's been a lot of failure of like, so I work for a corporation for 30 years and then I get fired. Or so I, I, I work for uh, this company, I give them my blood, sweat and tears and I lose my marriage, right? Like there's been a lot of failure of kind of like systemic institutions that we've seen. And I think that that is part of the reason why very often millennials can have a hard time making decisions. Um, there can be like cynicism to uh, just go with the flow. But but with that, I think that millennials are hurting to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And, and I think that that's a unique spotlight on that generation. So if you're a business that can make it about more than just pure dollars, like dollars are a part of it, but if a business can exist for something bigger than themselves, whether it's to provide a livelihood for the families that work there or to make people's lives better and create family moments through a fireplace or a barbecue or a fire pit. If you can make that your company's mission, I think that millennials will flock to you like crazy. And while money is a factor, it's not the factor. I would say for millennials, if you can, if they can be part of a cause and feel like their work matters along with flexibility, I really think that, that money comes in probably at number three in that equation. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. It's it's really also breeding a positive culture. You know, we all want to be part of that culture that is positive and helping each other and caring for each other. And we're flexible. Like you need to go do something. You know what? I'm going to let you do it. Like we're yeah. here for each other. Teamwork makes the dream work, as I always say. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so good. I, I'm just I'm thinking back to, to times in in my early career of like, there was, there was a, there was a time where I was, I was buying a, like my first car. So, so I went, I went, you know, the majority of my life owning cars that all cost less than $800, which meant that my car was always broken. <laughs> and, and I, I literally remember uh, I'd saved up some money. I was looking at, at getting a loan for the first time in my life. I'm in my early twenties and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying buying this car on Craigslist. And, and I was trying to, to talk to uh, my employer at the time and just saying like, can I get 30 minutes just to go take a look at this car? It's the only time the guy can meet. And I mean, it, it was, it was like, I asked him to start a war with Afghanistan, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it was like, well, you can't, you can't do that. Like there could be someone that comes in on the floor and, and I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, I could have been, maybe I didn't go about it the way that I should have, but, but the point was, is that 
there wasn't a flexibility. It was, it was, you need to bend everything you do to our system and you get what's left over. And I think that there's such a synergy to like, I guess when, when I ran my teams, I, I keep thinking like if someone had a doctor's appointment or if like their kid had like a school player, like there was no, it didn't matter. Like I, I mean, like people were shocked that like I would, I let, I would let my team members like go to Hawaii for a week in the busy season. I didn't cause I, cause I'm, cause I'm sitting there thinking like, well, if I say no, you don't, you don't get to go on a trip to Hawaii and like, what's the worst that's going to happen? I mean, right? honestly, like people can wait an extra 15 minutes to get helped. Like it's okay. You know? And, but I think that, I think that that mentality actually is a huge advantage and, and, and it makes people think twice when going to work somewhere else, when, when they're treated and, and respected as a, as an adult to, to do the work they need to do and they have flexibility to accommodate their life. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you breed that, 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 that doesn't just happen. It's, you have to like continually work on that and it has to start at the top and work its way down. You said something earlier, Jenna, that I want to get to about Jim Collins and putting people in the right seats on the bus. But, but before we do that, I, I think that this dovetails really well into talking about hiring and training. So you've talked about the fact that, that you're specifically looking at, at millennials when you hire. Trying to. <laughs> so. I'm going to use an example. I just hired an employee six months ago. Well, actually seven now. It was in June of last year. And he came from the sales industry. So huge opportunity for us because I don't have to train on sales. He knows how to sell. I just have to train on product and knowledge and processes. So that was huge for us. And I started him on just gas logs and gas inserts. And here I am hitting December with him. And he closed over $90,000 one month. So to me, I wasn't even doing that when I moved to Salters. It's that's a huge deal. That's a lot to project manage. And I'm so impressed with him. Um, I gave him an award, (laughs) you know, he, he deserves it. He got an extra bonus. Like that's we want we want people who care enough to like close that amount of sales, follow up with their customers you know, handle the CRM. And, you know, he isn't a millennial, but that's okay with me. But when I do find millennial, I have to have in the process of interviewing, I have to understand what their end goal is. And finding the honesty and trust with that conversation is difficult sometimes because you're putting everything on the line to make sure that this, you know, 22 year old or 25 year old, whatever they are, wants to stick with you because you understand and everybody listening is how much work goes into training. Yep. So it is, it's time consuming and I have to put a lot of effort in my interview process to make sure that the person I'm hiring is going to fit with our culture, work with everybody well, and actually cares. Isn't just in for the money. Like you mentioned. Yeah. That's so good. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of hiring in, in my time at fireside. I, I'm trying to think, uh, I don't know, I probably hired and onboarded maybe 10 or 11 retail salespeople. And I I kept thinking like, industry experience is great. It totally is. But there is something to be said for someone that just like has a teachable spirit. Mm-hmm. And and, and it, again, like age doesn't matter here, but I'm just using millennial because like most millennials haven't worked at a fireplace store before. <laughs> so like when you get a millennial, chances are they're probably not going to have experience. But I think that you're exactly right that 
getting getting people that are willing to learn product is simple. It it it's it's learning and being a salesperson that's so difficult. Like if you can find somebody like you did that had that experience and understood how to listen, how to how to observe when when customers have have needs, follow up, use a CRM system and, and close the deal. You know, product is product. And and I think that what you did with the training wheels of at the beginning just sell gas logs and just sell gas inserts is incredible, but you know, I've I've really found when when people talk about for salespeople, hey, there's there's no one out there. It, it takes so long to hire a salesperson. I just don't agree because, you know, every every time I've been in, in the position when we start interviewing within two to three weeks, like you find somebody, and and I know that in a perfect world, like you would want an A player, a thoroughbred. But the beauty is that if you've got a system that someone can come into. Frankly, you don't need an A player to get good results. And and I think about even even some of the poorer hires that I've made of, of people that that didn't work out. You know, they could they could still sell $600,000 within 1 year because there was a system in place and and even though they didn't work out, like they were able to to do their role really well and actually make a great paycheck like while they were here even though it didn't work out for them. And so I think that you know, you want to take hiring very very seriously. There is a balance to like, you, you do kind of need to work with what you have to some degree. And, and every business leader's got to make a decision on that spectrum where, where you fall. But I think that I think that creating a system is the most important thing because you can you can hire people into it. And it's incredible how your system can actually make them better than you ever expected. Huge, huge. And I'll just use an example too that I had is my marketing guy, John. Um, John's millennial. He literally just graduated college. And he was actually a salesperson in one of my locations. And I kind of heard down the grapevine that, you know, sales wasn't his end all be all. And I was like, whoa, you know, well, what does he want to do? So like, I literally set aside a time I met with John, he graduated with a degree in marketing. And I thought, you know what? He probably really enjoys marketing. Sure. And I had a sit down conversation with him over a weekend and found out that like, that's what he wants to do. You know, he's in his early 20s. He has a career mind. He's doing sales in the meantime to make make a paycheck. But I ended up taking that information and I went to Jay and I said, how can we provide a job that John is going to thoroughly enjoy? He's the right person on the bus. We need to keep him. He cares. He's honest. He's loyal. All the things that we want, he holds our core values. How can we make this work? And we found a position for him and we were literally just able last year to put him in a full-time marketing position. I took him away from my sales floor, which was a huge hit. (laughs) I had to hire another salesperson. Sure. Yeah. But now I have him doing all of our marketing and he's phenomenal and it's even better for the company and he's happy. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, it's super clear that that, that you're making a deep investment in in these people and, and that like it's not a guarantee that they're never going to leave you, but man, it's a better chance than if you treat them like garbage, you know? Yeah. Um, you talked about the right person on the bus. So to give to give context, you know, we, we both have a, a huge appreciation for Jim Collins and all of his books. And in the book, Good to Great, he talks about how important it is to get the right people on the bus. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to juxtapose this with what I just said. So I just talked about like, hey, if you have a good system, you can hire not exactly an A player, and they can still produce good results. 
I, I believe that that's not the same as just saying you can hire anybody into your company and have the wrong person in the wrong seat on the bus. So I'm just going to preface that, but I'd love to hear you talk about what is that analogy of the right person in the right seat on the bus done for you? Sure. I think also this goes into the interviewing process. Sure. We actually have a checklist of do they hold the integrity and our core values And I look at our three core values and I look at our quality standards and we have all this in place. And these are the things that we look for in a person. Those are character traits. And it's hard. You can't change a character of somebody. So you have to find somebody who has the right character and holds those values because you can train on the other things. I can train on how to sell and the product, but finding somebody who truly cares and holds those values is what we want that's the right person on the bus. And if I get those people on my bus and I have all these good, great people under me who are helping to grow this company for Jay, we're all going to grow together and we're going to steer the bus in the right direction. If we had all the wrong people, the bus isn't going anywhere. (laughs) So it's, that's huge for a company. I agree. I I couldn't agree more. And and even just thinking about what you did with John, that's, that's moving someone's seat on the bus and think about what happens if you don't do that. So if you, if you don't do that, He's working a sales job to make a paycheck, but I mean, he spent all this money and time to get a marketing degree. So he's going to leave at some point to go do marketing. So by rearranging the seats on the bus, you were able to keep him for probably a lot longer than you would have if, if you wouldn't have moved things around. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of companies, I find this as, as me and Grant go in to visit with different businesses, there are a lot of companies that have the wrong person on the bus and everybody in the company knows it but they're afraid to allow them to leave the bus. And I think that that's crippling. And I I love to just kind of tee up and get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) Um, I'm sure every company has, they have that, you know, whether it's one or two people or who it is, but you have the wrong person and you don't want to ever be in a position leading a company where you do have the wrong person. You all know you have the wrong person, but you're sticking with that person because you're like, well, what am I going to do without them? I need them. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't. That's going to hurt your business more than help your business by having the wrong people. Um, and those people are the people that grow the negative culture. Yeah, it's cancerous. It's cancerous. Exactly. It's a perfect word. And you need to get rid of it. The cancer needs to get cancer and go away. <laughs> so. Yeah. You need to, you have to start over, get fresh people, have the right people on the bus and don't be afraid to get rid of the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, 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 you know, I hate making those decisions. I hate it. And it, and that's part of the hard work as a leader, like as, as a leader, you know, I'd imagine that, that, that you get paid probably a little bit better than maybe some other people in your company. And the reason that you make that paycheck is because you have to make these decisions. Because if you don't, it'll, it'll crush your company. <laughs> and if you're not if you're not willing to make the decisions to do what's right for the rest of your team, like you don't deserve that paycheck or that title. And I, I think that, you know, it, it can be hard when, when people feel crippled. Like, well, this is the only person that knows how to do installations. Or this person has so much service knowledge. Or they've been selling for, you know, this long. You know, I, I, I get it. But you can contingency plan. I mean, like if they got hit by a bus tomorrow, you'd figure out, a, you'd figure it out. You just, you'd have to, maybe it means that you got to work more hours. Uh, maybe it means that you got to start subbing out your installs temporarily. Like, but, but there's a way around these problems. And, and, and when a, when a business leader, whether you're the owner of the company or not, 
looks at a situation that they know is bad and and is and is toxic for the company, but and chooses to leave it. Well, it's no wonder that you can't hire good people. Like Dave Ramsey always talks about how like thoroughbreds hate working with donkeys. And if you've got a donkey in your company that is in the same space as the thoroughbreds, they're not going to stick around. And you got to get rid of the donkey. It's kind of a crude analogy, but I think it's, I think it's really fitting. We'll get back to our conversation with Jenna Golden in just one minute. Hey, you've been listening to me talk to Jenna, and we're going through all the ins and outs of how to run a successful retail business in light of where consumer behavior and millennial tendencies are. If you want more of this content, you can get it for free every single month by reading the Firetime magazine. Now, this is a digital publication that you can get through an app or delivered straight to your email inbox every single month. And you're going to hear contributors like Jenna, like myself, Grant Falco, and Tim Rethlake, other guests that we've had in the past on this podcast are going to be writing and producing content for this. When Hearth and Home Magazine went away, we all felt a void. There was a voice in our industry that was gone, and we felt that we had to pick up that mantle if our industry was going to continue to thrive. So the purpose of this is to give you a playbook month after month after month so that you can grow yourself and the people in your company to serve customers even better and protect and grow our industry ultimately. So to download the smartphone app for the Firetime Magazine, you can go to the website itsfiretime.com slash app. That's itsfiretime.com slash app. Now, if you don't like apps and you want to just read this on your smartphone or get it emailed to you every month, you can go to thefiretimemagazine.com and click the appropriate link. Yeah, the right people on the bus is super important. And also, you got to make sure the bus is being steered in the right direction, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that comes from leaders, for sure. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> you got to have plans, processes in place, policies, all of that stuff, onboarding. I mean, you've done pod, multiple podcasts on how to groom up, like, the perfect, perfect company and how to build that and start from scratch if you want to start over. Uh, truly listen to that podcast if you haven't, because that's amazing. There's multiple podcasts of it with you and Grant. Yeah. Um, but you have to start somewhere. I think that's where a lot of people are intimidated yeah. from the earth industry, just from the years that I've been in it. And I've seen it and I've worked for a couple business owners now. It's scary. And you're like, where do I start? Start with one plan, work on that plan and keep going. And like I said, finding the right people is going to be key. I'm totally with you. You know, I heard, I forget who said it, but, but someone was like, you know, the, the beauty of being surrounded is that you can attack in any direction. <laughs> and I think that, I think that like, that's so reassuring. It, I mean, it can be so scary. It's easy to listen to like us talk on a podcast about, you know, well, you just got to do this, this, and this. But the truth is like, you do. And, and, and I'm not saying it's not scary. It's terrifying, especially if you've run a business the same way for 20 years. I mean, there's all this insecurity of like, do I have what it takes? Are my team members going to believe me? Are they going to think that I can actually stick to it? Yeah. I mean, I get it. I, like, I, I, I wrestle with that stuff like every single day. But just because that fear is there doesn't mean that that you shouldn't do the right thing. You know, um, there's a Seth Godin quote about fear that I'm actually... Uh, I used in an, in an article for the magazine recently. I'm going to read it real quick because I think it's really important. So Seth Godin says, the fear cannot be defeated and the fear will not go away because the fear is hardwired into us for good reason. 
Now, you can paralyze yourself trying to make it go away. You can read everything, study everything, and be sure you're right, but that's exhausting. The other thing you can do is dance with it. You can dance with the fear and say, oh, it's a compass. This is giving me a hint that I'm onto something and I'm doing something that might not work. So we have to decide, are we constantly trying to get it just right down the center, which is boring, it isn't going to get us anywhere, or do we have the guts to say, this might not work, but I'm going to persistently, consistently, and generously bring it forward. If you're asking for a guarantee, you're in the wrong line. Wow. So good. Yeah. Like speechless. That was amazing. Because that's exactly what everybody needs to hear. Yeah, because you face it, right? Like, like everybody faces that fear. But like, okay, yeah, like it's there. So what? What are you going to do about it? You know, and I think that I, I found that as I've been able to, when I feel that fear, being able to do just what he said, like, oh, it's a compass. So this actually might be the right direction. And the reason I feel the fear is because this may not work. But, mm-hmm. but doing the things that I have been doing haven't worked. So if I try something that doesn't <laughs> work, like, there's probably a pretty good chance of it paying off. I think that's really important. And I, I want to pivot here. So I want to, I want to zoom into um, training wheels. So you talked about this new hire that started recently and you started him on only gas logs and only gas inserts. And this is brilliant. So you were able very quickly through simplifying the available options for that salesperson, you were able to maximize results and it's almost like that's what we should do with our customers too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's critical in the industry because it's so much, the terminology and everything is just overwhelming for sure for a new person. So starting them off with a category or two that to me is one of the easier categories out of everything yeah. we do. Um, and we're a full service retail store from start to finish. We have in-house installers and we do finish work. So it's a lot to learn. So starting in that little few categories was huge for him. I got him really confident. He felt really good. He's getting better and better and better and understanding the nuances. There's so many different fireplaces out there. Yeah. He's learning how to handle the prefabs and the masonry. And, you know, what about level two inspections and the gas logs? And, you know, he is so confident right now in that, that I feel confident in going into the next category. Yeah. I look at what he sold, not over 90000 and just logs and inserts. (laughs) It's amazing, you know, and I I think it's so smart because it makes it too to where if you've got the crusty, you know, salesperson that's been there for a while, has a horrible attitude. I I used to work at a business with a person like this and uh, he was the only salesperson on the floor. He was super crusty. He treated people like garbage if he was having a bad day. Uh, but But the business owner felt crippled because they couldn't live without him. And I'm thinking, man, like gas inserts aren't that hard to sell, right? I mean, like, if you know how to measure a box and know if it fits inside of a bigger box, you can sell a gas insert. Like <laughs> that's, that's the only qualification that you need. I mean, seriously, it's the only qualification that you need. And so if you could bring somebody in and train them very quickly to do that, you are not going to be held hostage by that bad hire anymore. You know, and, and when I talk about like, you know, not having the right people on the bus, I'm not saying that you clean house right away. I always want to like give people a chance, be honest with them about where their performance is at and let them know what you expect. But if it's clear that they're the wrong person, they're not going to change, you, you got to make a plan. You, you, you hire their replacement like right under their nose and you, and you train them. And once that person's ready, like you, you get the cancer out. I, I think though that the training wheels is super important. 
you know, we, we had a hire. He's actually one of the, one of the contributors for the Firetime magazine, Sam O'Donnell, who started working for me a couple years ago. He didn't have any industry experience, and we did the exact same thing. We said, you're allowed to sell gas inserts when there's a gas line in the fireplace, and that's it. And that was amazing. And he, and he closed like just some monster sales months because he had focus and direction where some of the more tenured team members were, were, were going in a lot more directions. And so there, there is something to that simplicity. And, and for people that are thinking like, come on, Tim, like you could burn someone's house down being reckless like that. Like a gas insert's not just a box within a box. Like what about a chimney inspection? And what about like, I get it, <laughs> but there's this magic thing. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this. If you're listening, you need to take this, these, these notes down, but there's a magic thing called an in-home preview. And I don't know if you've heard of this, Jenna. I don't know if you've heard of this, Jenna, but an in-home preview double checks to make sure that everything is going to be safe. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if the person in the showroom got it wrong because it will get caught at the in-home preview. And if someone's got a brick fireplace, the insert fits and there's gas line inside of it, there is a high, high, high probability that nothing will go wrong and you'll be perfect. But the in-home preview is the magic bullet. And I believe that that the person going out to do the in-home previews might be the most important person in the company because they need to have both sales experience and technical knowledge. But you can condense that into one person versus having every single person on your sales team at that same level. I would much rather have a sales team whose technical knowledge was like a five or a six out of 10, but their sales skills were up at an eight. If I've got a nine or a 10 out of 10 person going out to look at it, I think it's a really good combination. For sure. Yeah, definitely. We, we have the same thing. We have a main in-home preview person who goes out, verifies everything. And you know what? Like, don't be afraid. If you sold too big of a unit, guaranteed that there's probably a smaller version of it. Most manufacturers yep. have a small and a large insert that mimic each other. So, yep. I, I think that that simplicity in sales is, and it, you know, it's easy for me to say like, oh yeah, you should do this, this, and this. Like I made the mistake for years. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. Like I used to item out every single piece of vent pipe and, and, and I would, people come into the showroom and be like, how much does this cost? And I would get so arrogant and be like, well, you know, we actually don't give you a price. We come to your house and that way I can tell you exactly what it's going to be because <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you it's going to be $5,000 it, and it turns out to be $5,400. I, I wouldn't do that to you. So instead I'm going to come out to your house. It, that's totally arrogant of me and it's cowardly. When like you think about the customer came in, they just wanted like, they don't know if this thing costs 2000 or 20,000. If you can just tell them, Hey, most people spend five to $6,000 on these. I'd love to come to your house and we can tell you exactly what it's going to be for your project. Like people are just like, okay, like, Perfect. And then you get out to their house, nine times out of 10, it's in that range. But if it's not, all you do is just say, hey, you know what? This is a little bit different than what we discussed in the showroom. And I understand it's a little bit outside of the budget we discussed, but this is what it's going to take to complete the work. And the customer goes, oh, okay. I'm glad you came out to the house to double check it. Like, that's it. That's all that happens. No one's like dying here. Yeah. 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 And when you're talking like even like a hundred dollars or something, that's not a lot in the scheme of five or $7,000. No, no, it, you, you do not lose a sale for 150 bucks when someone's spending five grand. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Jenna, we, we've gone a lot of different directions and, and I, I'm just enjoying this conversation, but to round it out here, I, I do want to talk about women in the industry. This is something that uh, I'm very sensitive to. And I think that uh, we desperately need more outside voices. And I think that, that our industry is, is, you know, 
very male dominated and that and that demographic is is tends to be on the older side and there's there's nothing wrong with that inherently but we do have a lack of other voices of younger people uh, and and women of just all ages in the industry can you talk about your journey of what it's been like to be a woman in the industry and why do you think it's so hard for more women to be present in our industry sure well just coming from being young and being a woman in the industry has been a mountain so to speak for me to climb. Um, so, you know, I started at 16 and I'm climbing this mountain and I'd have customers come in and well, you're, you're riding the glass escalator. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I'd also have like, you know, you'd have these people who would come in and it's usually guys that would look at me and go, well, is there a salesman to talk to, Mm -hmm. you know? And I had the same thing when I became the sales manager, I was 22 years old when I was sales manager and that's hard to come by, especially in the hearth industry. And I would have, again, men coming in. Can I speak to a salesman? Where's the yeah. manager? You know, like talk down on me. But yeah. the, the saving grace for me has been my confidence and my knowledge. I'm yeah. like a sponge. I'm always trying to learn and be better at what I do to provide a better experience or value for my customer. And that shows when I talk. So when I yeah. talk to a customer and they hear me talk about the unit, they're like, whoa, she knows what she's talking about and automatically their opinion changes. You can just tell. Yeah. And that's a battle. I have some other women that I work with who deal with that as well. And they're older than I am. Yeah. So I think the sales industry is forever changing and we have to understand that women can be just as successful as men, if not more. And again, letting people know what the industry has and that when they see that women are in it, we can get more women. It's exciting. It's enticing. When I walk into an expo and I see three quarters of the room or a training and it's all men in the industry, yeah, it is kind of scary. You're like, oh, okay, you're being stared at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're a young woman and you just have to overcome it. You know, it's the fear explanation you gave. I yeah. head on and yeah. I don't shy away from it and I like it and I challenge myself every day. And I think we need more of it, like you said. And we are better with design, in my opinion, again. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I was going to go there in a second. People could go against that. But I always notice that the women salespeople I have are so good. They click with the wives or the women that come in and picking a design for a fireplace wall or understanding colors and fabric for patio furniture. And sure. we click better. We're e- more easily like able to sell that item yep. than a man could with a wife. You know, yeah, Jenna, I'm totally with you. I truly believe that like the most powerful salespeople in, in in our industry tend to be women between the age of 30 and 40. I think that there's something so powerful about that um, because, and this is generally speaking, they tend to be better with details. They tend to have a nurturing demeanor. Um, and at the same time is that they also tend to be just more emotionally intelligent to understand where people are, be more sensitive to other things in their house outside of just the fireplace. So I, th- I think it's really important and it's something that we need to keep talking about. And, and I think that, uh, you know, just realizing like there's nothing wrong with being a man in the industry, but realizing that man a diversity of voices is the best chance you have of making sales. There's just no way around it. I mean, this is something that I found like, even as me and Grant have gone about like selling the Firetime magazine, like I have a sales style and it's not for everybody. 
and Grant has a sales style that thankfully complements mine, you know, that without that diversity of voices, like you, you don't have a, you don't have a good chance of success. And I, and I feel like, you know, we've talked a little bit in the past about Bridget Brennan and, and her books, like, you know, she's been so good talking about how in, in, when it comes to a sale, like the woman has the veto vote, like even if she's not buying it, she's got the veto vote and you better win her over. Yep, exactly. Speaking of that, there her book is right on my wall. There you go. Next to Jim Collins. Yeah. (laughs) So I have their covers right on my wall as motivation because she's right. You have to win her business. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just thinking about this for me. So my birthday was uh, pretty recently and my wife as a gift gave me a, a budget for a guitar and I was totally stoked. Like I haven't bought a new guitar in years and I got this budget that's like pretty good to get an amazing one. So I'm shopping for guitars now and I'm, I'm so excited to find it. And like my wife, she doesn't know what kind of guitar I'm going to get. She's not involved at all in the purchase, but the purchase would have never even been considered. Ne- it just wouldn't have been without her blessing. And, and I think that, that we just have, we have to realize that and, and we need to connect with women and it is, you know, ironically very easy to connect with a woman when you are one, surprisingly. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) Well, Jenna, it's been awesome having you on the podcast and, and I just can't wait for people to read your content in the magazine. I know it's going to deliver value. Thanks a ton for making time today. Yeah. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jenna. I got a ton of value out of it. And as I'm looking over my notes just from our conversation, you know, there's so much here that I want to dive into. I think that, you know, she's she's an up-and-coming voice in the industry that you should be paying attention to. And when she talked about putting the right people on the bus, this is so important. You know, that analogy comes from the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, and it's an unbelievable book that every single one of you should read. But he talks a lot about companies that make the move from being a, an average good company to a great company. One of the fundamental things they do is they put the right people on the bus. And, and like we mentioned in the conversation, I have, I have seen dealer after dealer put up with the wrong people on the bus. And I would, I would just encourage you that if you know this person is not the right fit, you have to either change their seat on the bus or or ask them to step off of it. It doesn't mean you don't operate with grace. It doesn't mean that you don't offer them a, a path. I mean, a lot of the time, you know, bad employees seem bad, but really they just need a different seat on the bus. They need a different job, something else for them. And, you know, when when you've got the right people in the right seats, you can really start to go places and, and you can't be afraid when you need to to, to cut bait with someone, you know, there's, there's some clients I have that, that had some, some problems this year with, uh, one of their team members. And as we talked about it more and more, I just, I encouraged them. I said, you know, you've tried and tried and tried. And, and this behavior has come to a point where, you, you know, they, they need to, to be removed from the bus. And it was a really hard decision, but they did it. And, and I'm telling you, like the next day, people walked in and just said like, we're breathing new air. Like it feels like a weight has been lifted in the company. And that is what happens when you move people out of the wrong seat and, and you put people into the right seat. It's an analogy that's, that I think is very fitting and it's hard in our industry because we, we believe the lie that, well, I could never replace them. You, you can, you, you really can. And I think that, that throwing everything you have into, into, into putting people in the right seats important. And the cool thing with that is that I mean, it's not even the negative, it's the positive. You know, if you've got someone that that is not super happy in their role and you could find 
a better position, you've just you've just won loyalty out of that team member. I mean, I think about what Jenna's done for for John. She mentioned moving him into a marketing role because he got a marketing degree. Amazing. I mean, this doesn't guarantee that that team member is never going to leave. But but man, like you've got a better chance of keeping them than if than if they stay in a role that they don't like and isn't the focus of what they spend all this time getting this degree. You know, I, I think about this a lot for even just the different team members that that I've had of of really trying to move them into a position of maximizing their strengths. You know, similar but but on a slightly different line is is that topic of flexibility, and we talked a little bit about how the millennial mindset is kind of that like flexibility comes first. I, I know for me, I, I feel really respected if I am given the autonomy to flex my job around the important things in my life. That is very, very powerful with a millennial. I mean, it really is. And I, I know that some businesses have like blackout dates, no vacation during this time. And I, I understand how important it is to, to maximize the season. Yet at the same time, I'd say it's actually more important to have engaged team members. And and I'll never forget, this is, you know, probably three years ago, my best salesperson took, I think, eight days. It was either eight or nine days to go to Hawaii right in the middle of the season. And I was fine with it. You know, he asked me four months ahead of time. And I, I said, yeah, man, you bet. Like, I understand it rains a lot here. It's really cold. Like, you want to get out and go to Hawaii Let's just make sure that that we have team members in place to cover the showroom, and and you're gonna be you're gonna be good. But there was no blackout dates. I mean, it, it was the right thing to do for that team member. And like, you know, years later, they're they're still at Fireside, and and they've you know risen in rank, and and they're crushing it. And I think that flexibility it, it really shows that you respect this person, you value them as a person outside of work. And if, if you're wondering why you can't retain team members, I, I would ask if you can provide flexibility. And there's all kinds of things you can do. It doesn't mean that, you know, you do what I did, but man, like doctor's appointments and things like that, allowing a team member to work from home part-time. I mean, COVID is a great time to test drive this and you got to set super clear expectations because if they're lazy, like doesn't work, but, but there, that freedom and autonomy is just really, really important. You know, lastly, thinking about just, sales success without a lot of training. I'm thinking about that team member of hers that closed 90 grand that month, you know, and just, they started what, like five months, six months earlier. You know, I, I, I've seen that same thing happen. I mean, Sam O'Donnell, who worked for me for years as a contributor to the Firetime magazine. And he's somebody that he, he grew up with family in the industry, but he himself was never in it. And when he started for me, it was like September 1st, 2019. And he did not know what a gas insert was compared to a wood insert or anything else, but he was closing like a crazy amount of sales that December and January because we kept it so simple and said, these are the situations that you can sell in and anything outside of this, just pass it off to somebody else. And every year there is so much demand for gas inserts. It is unbelievable. If you were to put off everything but gas inserts in most markets, you could run a huge business with very, very little headache and keeping the training wheels on for a long time is so helpful. And I remember me and Sam went to a, a blazer game probably, I don't know, two or three months into his time at Fireside. And he's looking at the commission structure. He's like, he's chomping at the bit. Cause I was just showing him like how the volume that some of the, you know, the, the higher producing salespeople did. And I said, you know, Hey man, like, you can do this. Like, you know how a commission program works. You can do math. Like you can, you can see what kind of a paycheck you can pull in. And and this is very realistic. 
And he's like, man, like I want to do it. Like, you know, what can you do to open up more lanes for me? And I was like, just trust me, like stick with this a little bit longer because the most important thing about keeping the training wheels on like that is the team member is going to learn how your company works. So they're going to understand how your installers work, how your staging works, how scheduling works, but in the simplest form of product. Then as you open up the swim lanes of wood stoves and pellet and fireplaces and everything else, they already know how to use your company like an extension of themselves as opposed to fighting against your company every step of the way because there's too many things that they're forgetting. It's powerful and it's just so cool that Jenna had the same experience that I did. Now, I know that we're going long in this podcast and I, and I appreciate you listening to it because this is the stuff like boots on the ground. Jenna's doing this every single day. And I know that you can take things away as well because, because she's not in a position that's any different than you. And you might look at that and think like, well, I don't have a person that I can hire in marketing. Well, you don't right now, but man, like you start doing these things and, and training up salespeople and being able to, to delegate authority and give flexibility, like you might find yourself in a pretty good position in the near future because you've made these investments. Now, as, as we wrap up today, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. You know, we use this money that comes in to delegate the administrative duties of this podcast so that way we can focus on producing the highest level of content possible. We were able to make a great equipment upgrade just this last season so that, you know, this audio quality is better than ever and hopefully the guests and the content and everything else is too. So thank you so much to those of you who support this. It it does not go unnoticed and we appreciate every single one of you. You know, as always... We're in the middle of this season and I'm thinking back just to all the episodes and, and all the, the content that has been produced over the last few years and, and there is something special about this community. You know, mark my words, you are going to be the group of people that moves this industry forward. We, we are coming to a number of very important decisions that need to be made in the next 10 years about our industry, whether you're talking about how businesses transition to the next generation or how we stand up and fight for fair regulation of our products so that we can stay in business or even just how we conquer internet sales because we've totally missed the boat on it as an industry. There's a lot. And and I believe that it's this audience that are going to be the ones that champion that. So, you know, I hope that this gives you inspiration. It lets you know that you're not alone and that the work you are doing does make a difference. So please go and continue. And as always, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the fire time podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to buy.